Good. My name is Derek Murphy. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm also our Life Together director. I just want to say thank you for being here this morning. Uh, if you uh, walk through the doors and you're wondering why you're here, why you even came to church, or you came to a church, you're like, you've had hard times in the past with church I just want to say it's not an accident that you're here. God brought you here this morning, and he has a reason that he has you here. And, uh, and really, I just hope that you, you're able to engage, you're able to learn, you're able to grow, you're able to also heal. You know, it's amazing what our God can do. Uh, he's able to take broken parts in our lives. We all have things that we're dealing with, shame and guilt and all this stuff, and he wants to free us of all that. And so I just want to say thanks for coming. Thanks for engaging here at K2. We're, we're so glad that you're here. So today we're going into a new sermon series uh, called Money, Sex, and Power. And uh, this is the trifecta, right? It's like, man, the things, the things that we fall into, right? The things that are trying to control our heart. You know, I was out in the lobby before first service talking with somebody and they're like, how did you draw the short straw of, you know, talking about money, you know? And it's like, which ones? But then she's like, well, what's better, money or sex? And I, I've heard that it said nothing's better than sex. So Dave, next week, he gets to speak on that. So, sorry, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But we're going into money today. Uh, but before I go into that, I just want to say, these are issues where it doesn't matter, uh, culture, time, uh, what country, uh, what, what demographic you're in, this, these are things we've all struggled with and, uh, and that continue to plague us uh, for, forever. This has been an issue. And even people with amazing integrity seem to have fallen and stumbled into these, right? We have, we have pastors, we have politicians, we have people that we've looked up to, authority figures, CEOs, that, and, and then just family, friends that we know that have struggled in these areas, people we've looked up to that we thought were, uh, were able to withstand the, the greatest temptations when it came to all three of these have fallen, right? Um, even this year, one of uh, the, there's a big name pastor, Bill Hybels, you may or may not know him, but has been accused. And then also we found that a lot of these accusations are true about sexual misconduct. And it just makes you wonder what in the world is going on and how do these things have so much power in us? Because I think we can all identify and know that when it comes to weakness and opportunity, we could fall into any one of these three areas and fall right off the reservation, right? This is, this is an issue that is a human issue we all have the potential of struggling with. And so I just want to say real quick, first of all, money, sex, and power are actually beautiful beautiful things that when used in their proper places are, are fantastic, right? Money can be used in amazingly good ways, like it could buy medical resources. It can help give people purpose through offer, giving job opportunities. You know, sex is one of those things that in the right context, in the right space, uh, can be used to bring an amazing connection in a, in, between a husband and a wife you cannot get anywhere else, right? And, and power, when wielded by somebody that wants to use it for other people to lift up others and not to lift up themselves is an amazing gift to us, right? Great leaders who care more for other people than they care for themselves as a blessing to all of us, right? 
And so we know that there's beautiful pieces of all these. And then there's the other side. There's the double-edged sword. And what I want to say is that it isn't money, sex, and power, right? The, the, the three, none of those are evil in and of themselves. The, the evil in those really is greed, lust, and pride, right? And so we're going to be talking about this. But I just want to say, there's, the statistics would say that there are people in this room um, that many of you that have been abused uh, and, and hurt because of these three things, because they've traditionally been something uh, that has been wielded by the strong uh, to manipulate and to pose on the weak, right? So oftentimes it's women and it's children who are being taken advantage of because of money, sex, and power. And I want to say, if you're one of those in this room that has been taken advantage of, uh, that's been used, that's been manipulated because of these, and you are hurting today, I want to say, um, first of all, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we, we're happy that you're part of this church. And I just want to say, our God has the amazing ability of taking trauma, of taking hardship, of taking pain, and taking it and, and molding us into amazingly beautiful people out of it. And so I want to say there's hope. God's got some amazing purpose and vision in you, and I hope that you can take these things and, and move into this body and move into this church in such a way uh, that you can, you can understand your purpose, your design, and that God can, can take your brokenness and he can bring wholeness into you. And I just want to say, don't try to do it by yourself. This is something where we have, we have groups uh, of people dealing with this. We've got, at the end of the service, we've got people who are willing to pray with you. We've got people out in this lobby that would love to talk with you. And so if you're dealing with one of those issues, if you've been hurt, neglected, violated, we'd love to engage into that trauma and start to see the healing hand of God work in you. So are you guys ready to move into the topic of money today? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yay. You guys are so ready, right? It's like, oh, man. Nobody wants to talk about it, right? It's the truth. And... Here's the deal, though, is that Jesus talked about it all the time in his preaching. In fact, there's only one topic he talked about more, and that was the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, or the gospel of the kingdom of God. That was his, the good news, right? He talked about that all the time, and second to that was money. And so this is something that if we preached about it as often as Jesus preached about it, uh, you guys wouldn't show up, right? It's just like that church only talks about money. You know, it's like, oh, this is what Jesus talked about because we'll see that it really affects our heart in some crazy ways, this, this thing uh, called money and the love of it, right? And so we're going to dive into really one of the most significant passages on money that Jesus talks about, and it's Matthew chapter 6. So let's Read this. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one 
and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's the deal. Uh, this is the summation. This is the, you cannot serve both God and money. And this is, this is true. We live in a culture, it doesn't, doesn't matter whether you think it's right or wrong. Here's the truth. We, we are, live in a capitalist society. And so consumerism is our commodity, right? We, we go out and we buy and we sell. And so we actually swim in the midst of this stream every single day. And this, this idea that Jesus says of money, God and money, really, there's, it's, it's, not transla- it's supposed to be translated money. The word there that Jesus uses, mammon. And so he's actually personifying money. He's giving it a name. And he's saying it's not money, right? Money isn't bad. Money isn't evil. It's this thing when we actually take it and we start to seek after it. We start to love it. We start to make it like our precious in Gollum, right? It's like this thing where where greed creeps into our heart. And it's so this mammon thing is this consumeristic type of uh, reality where we're, we're trying to get materials and we're trying to find fulfillment because of that, right? And so Jesus is speaking into this saying, hey, there's, there's a type of life you could live where you're going to serve uh, a master. Every type of life you live, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve a master. You can choose to serve God or you can choose to serve money. When you serve money, you think you're consuming it, right? You think you're using it you think you're, you're consuming materials, you're buying things, right? You're bringing them into your life. But what you find is that ultimately it consumes you. It is a harsh master, right? And so this greed thing, though, is interesting because very few people ever feel like they struggle with it. You know, I've had, when, when we talk about money, sex, and power, we're, we're talking about greed, we're talking about lust, and we're talking about pride. I've had a lot of people come and talk to me because they, as a pastor because they're struggling with lust and pride. But I haven't had very many people come to me and say they struggle with money, right? Uh, it's one of those things that's, that's kind of like this. It starts to sneak into our soul. And so the first point is one of the reasons we struggle with money is because it's the sneakiest of sins is what the notes say. Cross that out and say it's the sneakiest of masters, right? It's, it, actually, it actually isn't just, it isn't a sin. It's, it's, this, it's a slave master telling us what to do, telling us how to think, telling us how to live. Now, I know you guys know this. Here's two reasons why it's the sneakiest of masters. One is that we never have enough. Ecclesiastes says this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Who knows what the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about here. It's like, we never quite have enough uh, money at the end of each month, right? It's like, when I was in seminary, I was preaching at a church uh, for 900 bucks a month, right? And it's like, I figured out how to make ends meet with my, my wife working as a, a, a server at a restaurant, barbecue restaurant, oh man. Tennessee makes great barbecue. Still miss that stuff. But they, we, we figured out how to survive on that type of income. And then when I got out of seminary, I raised my own funds for a year. And I, made, I, I only made, made $20,000 that year. We figured out a way to survive. My wife was unemployed for the first four months of that year. And then she got a job 
and we figured out how to survive on that income. And then as we got raises and we took different jobs, right, we, we made more money. And it seemed like it wasn't just we figured out how to survive. It was like every month it was all gone, right? And you go, what in the world happened? Like, it's a, I thought it was there. I thought we had a lot. We used to have a little. Now we have a lot, and it's still gone. Who, who, who's with me? We all have been there. We all have done that. There's never quite enough of it. And then the second reason why it's so sneaky is we don't know when we've fallen into it. Now, Jesus, in a, the parallel passage with this Matthew 6 and Luke 12, when he's talking about this, he says, watch out for the sin of greed. Now, Jesus doesn't do this much. He doesn't tell us to watch out for a sin. He tells us to not do a sin. Like, for example, when he comes to adultery, he says, don't do it, right? He doesn't say, don't watch out for it. It's, it's like we kind of know when we're going down that road. I, I just got to teach you. One of my mentors, he says, it starts in the head before it gets to the bed. That's what he said. Uh, we know, we, we've been thinking about it a while, right? And you don't, you don't wind up in, in bed with another woman and go, oh, this, that's not my wife, what happened? You know, it's, it's, it's not a surprise, it's not a shock, right? You know where you're going. And it's, it's the, that's, that's not the truth when it comes to greed. It's like this thing that Jesus says, watch out for it because it's, it's going to sneak in there and it's going to start to find places to manipulate you. You may not even know that it's your slave master by the time it takes full control. And the reason is he starts talking about the eye, right? Right now, you guys, there's lights and they're pointing at me right on the stage. And you can see me because light is reflecting off my pasty white skin and hitting you back in the eyes, right? And it's coming into you. And, and so if, you, if your eyes are good, you can see right now. But if your eyes are bad, or if you're blind, right now it doesn't matter how much light they put on me, you won't be able to see. And, and that's, that's the case here where Jesus is saying, hey, when it comes to greed, there's this, there's this sneaky nature about it where it starts to darken your vision. Where you actually, it, 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 it actually changes the way you think, changes the way you and interact with the things around you. Just think about this, for example. All of us know people who make more money than us. Some of us even know people who make a lot more money, like at least 10 times more than us. Almost everybody in the room can look to somebody that's in their surroundings and say, man, they make a lot more. So when we look around, we compare ourselves with them, right? And we go, oh, I'm, I'm okay with money. I'm not out of control. They've got a lot more money than me. Look at this other person around me that they use their money a lot more extravagantly than I do, right? And so when it comes to money, we, we kind of just look and we compare and we think we know what other people are doing with it. And, and so it's one of those things where if we're swimming in a sea, right, where we're talking about of our culture, that's all doing the same thing. If we're looking around, we're all kind of drowning in the midst of this. And so our eyes start to darken and we stop really seeing and feeling anything when it comes to being uh, convicted about money. Now, if you started hearing at the beginning of this sermon, you know, you're like, hey, okay, money, sex, and power. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next two, but I'm not sure I have a problem with money then I just want to say that might be the, the biggest indicator that you do have a problem with money today, right? It's like one of those things that sneaks into our soul. And it, and it did this 
for me, like I, I had, um, so when I t- walked into ministry, I really cared before that about money. I wanted to become an engineer. I had an idea of how much money I was going to make when I graduated. I had a plan for what I wanted to spend my money on in those first five to 10 years after I graduated. And, uh, and so I had, it, it took up a lot of mental space and energy for me. And, and so when I walked into ministry, I, I thought that I was taking a vow of poverty. In fact, my parents, they sat me down and they said, my, 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 de- my mom's dad was a pastor. And she told me about how when, he was, uh, when, he, when they were growing up, like they didn't get Christmas presents and they got oranges in their stocking and they had to work multiple jobs to make ends meet and all these things. So I'm just figuring, okay, so I'm giving that up. So in that, in that regard, I was just kind of ready. I was ready to walk in and not have to worry about finances. And then, and then we get into ministry of ways, and my wife decides to go back to school. And we go from making two incomes down to one. We go, you know, I kept describing how we'd go up and up and up. And you, your lifestyle goes up and up and up. And then you have to cut way back. Right? And so in order to subsidize the lifestyle we'd created, I, I figured out a plan and I came up with a way uh, to, to like actually buy a house, remodel it, and make a duplex. Right, And so it, it was really cool. In fact, I think this was directly from God that he provided this house for us. And we were able to uh, do some amazing things and, and help people with this house. But it was one of those, those things where God provided. And then the church asked me to move across the border. I was in this town, Moscow, Idaho. And over the border was Pullman, Washington. Just They were nine miles apart, right? And, and so I moved over to Pullman. And we bought another house. And we modeled it and turned it into a duplex. And I started to imagine a life that had a whole lot more resources because now I'm living in one unit and I've got three other rentals and they're bringing in money, right? And I'm like, oh, this cash flow thing's really cool, you know? And uh, I kind of like being a landlord now and I've got the skills and now a little bit of knowledge about how to do this. And, you know, it started to take up a lot of mental energy and time for me as I walked down this slippery path, right? It's like it started to sneak into my soul and that idea of being able to have a good, safe retirement stored up, and that idea of having all these things where I could, I could start to accumulate into a mass and to have a big pools of resources, right, started to take up more and more mental energy in my life. And it was because of my wife and some good friends of mine, and ultimately in the end, God really coming into the middle of this, that I, I started to realize that this path, walking down this road, wasn't a good road to be walking down. It's one of those things that you start to head down, and before you know it, you're already there, right? And it's taking up so much space in your mind. And so it, it's one of those things where money and the love of money keeps us from asking the hard questions because it blinds us from really seeing where we're at. And if you're still thinking, man, I don't have struggles with money. You know, it's not an issue for me. I want to ask you a question. Who are you accountable to when it comes to your money? Like, would you be willing to take your bank statement out and go find somebody 
who's another follower of Jesus, and put it in front of him and say, hey, do you think I'm using my money in a way that really honors God? I mean, that's, that's kind of ballsy right there. I mean, to do something like that. Now, if you're, if you're not in that place yet, right, I just want to say we should be accountable when it comes to this sort of thing because it's not the sort of thing you want to walk with by yourself because it's so sneaky how money can get into our life and start to root its way into our soul. We have to have these conversations. In fact, I was talking with my friend Mark uh, a couple days ago about this sermon, and he asked me the question, what do you have, Derek, at your house that you'd just be willing to give away? And I said, well, nothing in my house is really that expensive, so I'd be willing to give any of it away. And he's, he said, so you just said something there. He said, you, you said you'd be willing to give anything away that's cheap. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask me about my truck or anything like, you know, but my, uh, the stuff, like my, my couch I bought secondhand eight years ago off a grad student in Pullman, Washington, okay? It's like, it's not nice, okay? My kids, uh, they've destroyed it, you know? You know what that looks like when you've been a parent. None of your furniture, you can't have nice things, right? So I'd give you that couch if you want it. I, I've got that for you. But the nice things, right? It's like, what am I actually, those are questions that we need to be asked, right? So who are you accountable to? Now, if you're not ready for that level of depth, here's do a, a quick self-assessment with me to see where your heart's at. Now, I want you to ask, what do you think about rich people and what do you think about poor people? This is a good assessment for where you're at. First of all, do you look down on rich people? Do you despise them? And do you think that you're better than them? Because maybe you've read a passage like this. You go, I don't have the problem with money rooting into my soul. It's not an issue for me. I don't have a lot. So they must have that problem. I'm going to judge them and look down on them. Is that an issue? Because if that is an issue for you, then you still have a problem with money. And the other one is if you envy rich people, if you look up to them and you say, Man, I wish I had all that. You still have a problem with money. And the second one is this. If you, how, how do you see poor people, people who are of a lower socioeconomic status than you? Because most of us look down and we, we pity them, right? We look down on where they're at instead of seeing them as a person just like us, valued just as much by God. Right? And so a good test to know if your heart is okay right now, because this is a, such a slippery path that we walk into, is do you love rich people and do you respect poor people? That's something to walk into. So many of us are wondering, like, so the, this, this money thing, why does it have so much power to take control of our heart? Well, One of the reasons is, is in verse 21 of this passage in Matthew chapter 6, it says, where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. And it's interesting because it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure is, right? We we would like it to say that, right? But if we're going to agree with Jesus on this passage, 
The truth of the matter is where our treasure is, there our heart will follow. That's the truth of our situation. So wherever we start to put our resources, wherever we start to put our time, it will capture our heart. Wherever we put our money, our affections will follow. Does that make sense? And I think it does this because of two lies that the enemy likes to use. And one is this, is that we search for significance, right? And one of the ways we search for significance is through how much how well we're doing financially, right? It's like, if you have a job that makes a lot of money, you are valuable now. How many of us have fallen into that track? Don't need to raise your hands. Or even, even just something as simple as making a value statement on us, on ourselves, based on where we eat, where we were able to buy a house, where we shop, what kind of clothes we wear, what kind of food we eat, right? This is something you don't have to make a lot of money to feel like you're better than somebody else. Just because we're better off financially, it's easy to start to think that we are better. Or just because we're higher powered socioeconomically makes us think that we are higher powered, right? And that is not true at all. This is where I struggle, right? I, when, I, when I lived in Pullman, we bought this second house and, uh, you know, I was able to put in a really nice kitchen, and I was thinking, man, people will really think a lot about me because of how awesome this kitchen is, right? It's like, I, it wasn't the, ra- the main reason why I put it in, but it was definitely a thought that was rumbling around in the back of the head, like, man, this is something. I've, I've actually made it. I, I'm adulting now, right? Like, I've got a real kitchen. It's awesome. It's got brand new cabinets and brand new appliances and awesome countertops and all these cool things. We start to attach our worth to things. And remember what we said at the beginning, things, money, possessions, they are a harsh master that we think we're consuming, but ultimately they consume us. Or maybe you're a different type of person than me, and it isn't significance that you're searching after, but it's security because we are in a world that's so insecure. We're in a world where we want to find control in places that are uncontrollable, right? And so we use money to try to insulate ourselves from the hardships, from the pains, and from the hurts of this world, right? And so we try to bring things and people around us that will keep us out from those pains, and, and here's the, the deal, is that you can insulate yourself from pain. Like you can wrap, I could wrap my arm in a bunch of cotton, and you could take a hot poker and, and put it up against it, and it's not going to touch my arm, right? And so it's not going to hurt. But then on my arm, I'm still, if, so, if somebody came up to me and touched me, I'm not going to feel their touch, right? And so the, the, the reality is you can't insulate just bad feelings. If you insulate yourself from negative feelings and negative impacts, you're also insulating yourself from all the positive things in this world as well. It's the truth about this life. There's a study, there's been quite a few studies, but the people who are the richest in the world are often the loneliest. They've somehow isolated themselves because they've insulated themselves from all the potential hurts. Their empathy levels are the lowest of anybody else. So those are two lies that the enemy uses 
to try to gather us into this tribe where we're, we're following this slave master that's trying to consume us, and we don't even know it. So the question is, how do we break this power? How do we break the power of money in our lives? And the, the, really what we have to look to is when Jesus spoke in verse 19 of this passage, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so my appeal to you is that we have to actually look at what Jesus valued if we're going to figure out how we're going to change our hearts to value the things that Jesus valued. And here's the deal is that Jesus, it says that he gave up everything. He had equality with God. He laid that down so that he could come and make himself into a servant for us. God, who had everything, he had every privilege, he had every authority, he had all the resources that you could possibly receive on this earth, and he gave that up. He gave up his own securities, his own significance, so that he could come into our world and he could give us some security and some significance because he wanted us to know how much he actually loves us and what he created us for. He didn't create us for consumption, right? We all memorized the passage or at least heard it when we were kids, right? It's like, what, what did Jesus or what did God come to do? It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? What does it mean that he so loved the world? Does it mean that Jesus came down here, he loved the world so much, he wanted to see the mountains and go hiking? No, what does it mean that he loved the world? It means that he loves you, right? He loves people. And so if we want to have the same heart as Jesus, if we want to store up treasures in heaven, if we want to put our treasure, you know, our heart where our treasure is, the way we need to do that is we need to start investing in the things that God invests in. God invests in people. There's this quote, I don't think it has a source. It says this, use things, not people. Love people, not things. I think that's the heart of God and that's the heart of Jesus. And Jesus came into this world and he said, if you lose yourself, for my sake, you'll find yourself. And so many of us are seeking after, trying to prop ourselves up, trying to fill ourselves with things that we've actually lost significance and it's eating us from the inside. Instead of consuming these things to fill us up, we found that they actually do consume us. And so there's two principles that I feel like really personify what Jesus, what a Jesus-centered life really looks like. And Paul brings them to us in 1 Timothy. And starting in in chapter 6 here in verse 6, It says, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith, and pierce themselves with many griefs. Now, I just need to say this to you. Got to hear this. 
if you feel convicted, or con- especially if you feel condemned by me, I want to say money is not evil. Right here it says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's a difference there, right? So there are people that can take money and they can accumulate it and it doesn't take root in their heart, right? It's, it, it's a special type of person, but we have to understand that if we walk into that world thinking that we can do that, we're playing with some fire because the scriptures tell us to have this principle. In verse 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so the principle, the first principle I think uh, uh, that Paul is giving us is to live simply. Live simply. And, and really, the, what backs that up in this passage is, first of all, we have to realize that we can live simply because we don't take any of this with us, right? None of this goes with us when we leave. And the second thing is this. The things we own, the things we own end up owning us. You know, when I started, when I was telling you about my duplexes, you start to become a landlord, right? And you actually have to take care of a lot of junk, right? Like washing machines go out, dryers need replaced. You have to go and you have to fix all this stuff. Like everything you own ends up owning a little piece of you. There's, when you own a car, right? The worst thing about owning a car is that you have to maintain the car, right? It's like, it takes time, energy, and effort. And so it's that idea that it is going to ultimately consume you if you're trying to get purpose and value out of this by, by consuming the things around you. So everything takes time, energy, and focus. And the third thing is that it says at the end of this passage that they have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And it just captures our heart in such a way that instead of worshiping God, who is not created, we start worshiping created things. This is what Romans chapter 1 tells us. We start worshiping things around us, and when we do that, where our treasure is, there our heart will follow, right? And so we're going we're gonna to take our faith from God, who is infinite, who has value in us, who is willing to give up his own life so that we can have life, and we're going to trade that for something that's here today and gone tomorrow is going to burn up someday. The second principle is this. Well, actually, before we get there, I just need to tell you this. If you're going to live simply, you got to go back. You got to go back to asking the hard questions. You need people in your life to go to if you're going to get practical with this. And you need to ask them to keep you accountable to say, is this car all right for me to buy in this stage of my life with this income? With, with these types of resources, right? If, if God placed people first, we have to find a way to live simply in such a way where we value people first. Does that make sense? Like, if you're going to buy a house with so many square feet and there's only so many of you in the family, like, what are you going to do with that extra space? Are you going to invite more people in so that they can experience real relationship? Or are you going to bring people to, uh, you're going to have extra beds so you can rent those out so that people who don't have enough finances to own their own house can be a part of your family? Like, what are you going to do with those resources and those things? Those are hard questions you need somebody to ask you as you start to try to live out this life of simplicity. It's not an easy thing. And if we're going to live it out, we're going to need help. That's why we need each other, and that's why we need community. This is the beauty of relationship. Now the next point is 
1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of this life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. If you still are struggling with this thing of money taking root in your soul, I just want to say this passage is telling you, you have not experienced life that is true life. There's still more for you out there. I just want to say it is so so good when we lay this stuff down at the feet of Jesus and let him start to heal us. Because he, Jesus talks about our eye, right? Our eye being the lamp to the body. And he says, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And, and this idea for good, the, the word that Jesus uses there could also mean generous. And it does mean that. This was a euphemism that Jesus used often. If you have a good eye, you're going to have a generous eye. So when you look around, you are going to, instead of seeing the way that you can use people to build up your own empire, you're going to start looking around and seeing how people around you, you can serve them, come alongside them, and help them. You can look for ways to build them up with your resources, right? This is what a good eye does, and it's the only way we can let light into our soul. Generosity is the best antidote to greed in this life. It lets light into our soul, and it allows us to experience true freedom in Christ because we're living in his way. We're lifting up his values instead of our own. So if we're going to respond to the mission of Jesus, we have to respond with our finances. It's not just our time. It's not just our talent. But you actually have to put your wallet to the test and see if there's still dark places hidden in your soul that you're not willing to let open up to the freedom that Christ is willing to give to you. Now, some of you... There's different levels of giving, and so I just want to try to give you a practical understanding of this. First level of giving is compassionate giver. Like if you, you see a need, you want to meet it. Like you have a friend who needs help, and you see they put a GoFundMe up, you, you're going to help there. Like I have, last night I came here, and I, I, I love to come here in the evening before I preach and just look out over all the empty seats and pray for all you guys and for what God's going to do in the midst of this. Now I showed up. On the back door over here, there was a parakeet, like at the back door. And I'm going, what am I going to do with a parakeet, right? It's like, <laughs> so I'm like, it, it, was, it was already fairly uh, cold. And when I drove into the church this morning early, it was like 34 degrees on, on my dashboard. It said that. And so I, I was like, it's going to get cold tonight. This thing's going to freeze to death. So I grabbed it and I put it in my truck and I took it home. And now I have a parakeet. What am, what am I going to do with a parakeet? I have no idea, but we do that, right? You, you see things and you want to help. And, and that's, that is God working inside of you. But 
that's, that's one level of giving. And the next one, what I'd say is this, is that you, you, you're convicted by what God has actually put in his word. And he says, hey, if you're going to be a part of my community, if you're going to be a part of my body, what that looks like is that I want you to give to this body to really to, to uplift the work of the gospel in each of your communities. And so he commands us to give a tenth of our income, a tithe. And so you might be saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that faithfully. I'm going to give. And I'm going to support the church. I'm going to support the work. I'm going to support the spreading of the gospel. That is amazing. Then you, you might go to the next level, which would be going above and beyond that. Maybe it's even seeing that adding those two together where you have like a faithful giver and a compassionate giver. You see needs. You want to help people. You, 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 you're like giving above and beyond that 10%. That's generosity. That's amazing. And then there's this, this another level that very few of us ever get to, and it's sacrificial giving. And I, I just want to call you guys. All these levels of giving, I would say, start taking the next hill, right? Wherever you're at. But when it comes to sacrificial giving, I want to camp out on that just for a second and say, this is exactly the type of giving that Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying, if you're going to live this way where money is not your master, you actually have to, you, you get a certain amount of income every month. And if you don't live like you're in a different tax bracket, meaning a lower one. Like you make a sacrifice to your lifestyle. Then you may not be living the way of Jesus. And you may be putting, God, you may be putting something other as your master other than God. I just want to say there's a reason why the early church was so powerful in its day. There's a reason why communities in the, in the, in the first century would have as much as 90% of a community come to Christ, even in a time where they're being persecuted. And that has a lot to do with this idea of where your treasure is, there your heart will be. People really believe the gospel. And you knew they believed it because they believed it with their money and the way that they used it. We see this in the early church in Acts 2 where people were selling houses so nobody had a need. That's sacrificial giving. There's a letter called the Epistle of Diognitus. And this letter talks about the reasons why Christianity was so popular in this day. And it says, they have a common table, but not a common bed. So I just want to explain this for a second. They have a common table, meaning that Christians would bring anybody into their house to feed them, to take care of them, to put them up for a night. This is how generous they were, this is how they lived, but they were stingy with their bodies, right? The Greeks of the time were promiscuous with their bodies, but stingy with their money. And he's saying Christians were quite the opposite. They were stingy with their bodies, but promiscuous with their money. What kind of community do you want your child to be raised in? Right? Jesus is asking us, to live in such a way that we're promiscuous with our finances. And if we live out that way, that will show us, show the world who he is. Because, man, if your money, your money, where you put it, really does show who our God is. This is a hard teaching, so uh, let's just take a minute and pray. Lord, we lift up this time
This is so hard. None of us have this down. Lord, we're still trying to figure it out. Lord, and I just pray that whatever you have going inside of each person this morning, Lord, maybe you're convicting us in some way or showing us a new area in which we can be faithful to you when it comes to our resources, our time, and our money. Lord, I just pray you'd work in us. Lord, you'd give us the courage to step out and follow you, Lord, to live by your spirit, Lord. We, there, there's so many nuances when it comes to all this. Lord, there's not one prescription that's going to work for every single person. And so we ask you for, for your spirit to come alongside us and to show us exactly where we need to work. And I'm imagining there's people in this room today that you're working on, Lord. You're, you're, trying, you're convicting us. You're trying to show us where we can make some adjustments to the way we, where we put our treasure so that more reflects who you are. Lord, so we love you when we lift this all to you in your name. Amen.